The following audio is from Story City Church in Burbank, California. For more information on Story City, go to storycitychurch.com. Awesome. Hey, how are we? Merry Christmas. Hello from over there. I was right there. How's everybody doing today? Good, 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 good. Well, hey, it's our last weekend before the big day, before... Who hasn't done any Christmas shopping yet? I just got to know. Who's the person... Wow, a large quantity of this room. That's okay. You have a week. Um, Maybe watch, uh, what's the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, Jingle All the Way, for some inspiration. Um, hey, we, uh, we are in a series called On His Shoulders, um, and our scripture in this series for the last three weeks has been Isaiah 9-6. So let me read that for us. If you have a Bible, pull it out. That's where we're going to be this morning. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. If you don't have a Bible, it's up on the screens, and it says this. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Let's pray together. Jesus, we are thankful this Christmas that you came. It's what we're here to dwell on this morning, the reality that we are not alone, that when we were far from you, you draw near to us and your son And my prayer this morning as we spend a half hour opening your word together is that you would stir our hearts with these amazing realities, that you would open them up, and that as we enter into the next week and go through this holiday season, we wouldn't miss the true gift of Christmas, which is Jesus Christ. So now would you help us to hear from your word? I am a man in need of grace, so would you cover my words with your spirit and your word be what is remembered in this place this morning? We trust you for this, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So I've shared this with the church before in another sermon, but I wanna start here. I am, you need to, to understand Tyler Miller, there's something that kind of is the baseline understanding you have to have, and that is that I am a, a pretty large introvert, uh, a melancholy, if you will. And what that means is that basically, um, small talk is like kryptonite to me. If we're engaged in small talk, you can just guarantee that I am, Inside, I am just going running inward and looking for the nearest exit. It's not anything personal. It's just me. It's the way God made me. It's something I've learned to live with. And also, in certain social settings, I reach E faster than the average person. I don't get good gas mileage in that area. And, uh, you know, we had an ugly Christmas sweater party. Who was there? We had an ugly Christmas sweater party. It was off the hook. And, uh, and, By hour one, hour two, I was good. By about hour four of this party, I was fading pretty hard. And uh, I just, I have a friend here, Jordan Ruiz, um, who runs sound for us, plays guitar. And he has this habit of filming me when I'm not aware he's doing it. And uh, he actually caught me at the, on E, okay? And so I, the video you're about to watch, I wanna show you this little clip of me at our ugly sweater party. This is a clip of me it's, it's an endangered species in its habitat, okay? This is like, this is, I call it an inch, the essence of an introvert. Let's watch this very short video. Can we roll that, can we roll that one more time, Bob? Don't let the onesie fool you or the dino socks fool you, which are awesome. Um, That look right there on that screen right now 
It looks placid and calm. That is a look of utter desperation. Um, that is a look of a man that is looking for the door. Um, so at that point, Bob, you can take it down now. The church has seen me in a onesie enough. Um, and maybe never again. But, uh, you know, my wife and I, on the way home from events like that, my wife has learned that uh, just, just don't try to talk, right? Like, just, just give up. Any, any attempt at conversation is usually met with, like, a sigh or a cold stare of, like, how dare you? And, uh, and also, at, at dan- my introversion also leads me at things like dances. I avoid the dance floor like a plague. I have no desire to get jiggy with it. I have no desire to do the Macarena. I'm out on the dance floor. Uh, at concerts, even, I will cling to the wall. I'm a total wallflower. That's the essence of who I am. After today, I will go home and not speak to my family for six hours. Um, and you know, Matt has this habit. Pastor Matt always tells me, and especially this season, it's really come out. He has told me that I, quote unquote, hate Christmas. Um, and I will admit to having a slight aversion to Christmas carols. I will admit. We obliged you this morning with several, though. Um, but by and large, I want to say, I think that's what's leading Matt to that opinion of me is not so much that I actually hate Christmas or am a ball humbug type person at Christmas, but it's actually my natural disposition and my temperament. I just don't show my emotions that much. By a rule, I'm a person who is usually feeling more than you see. Some of you can probably identify with that. But I love Christmas. I'm all in on Christmas. I'm all in on eggnog. I'm all in on gingerbread houses. I am all in on Home Alone and the movie Elf, which we watched here on Friday. All of it. I'm in. I'm in on lights. Chris, again, I called you out last time. Amazing front yard full of Christmas. Jeremy, you too, man. I'm in on Christmas. This is an amazing, amazing holiday. And you know, it strikes me that of all the customs that we celebrate at Christmas, The number one, the most universal custom of Christmas is that of gift giving, right? Like at Christmas, we give each other gifts. And there's a lot of holidays where we give gifts. There's Mother's Day. There's Father's Day, right? What are some others? There's a ton of anniversaries, weddings. We give gifts, but only at Christmas, only at Christmas do we all give gifts and all receive gifts, right? Like, this is the only holiday where that happens, and I am especially all in on the gift-receiving element of Christmas. It's my favorite part. I have presents waiting for me under my tree. I already know what they are. I've shaken all the boxes. I've checked them out. I've done my inspection. I know what's going on. And, you know, I think it's right. I think it's right that at Christmas we all give gifts, and it's a holiday that we celebrate by gift-giving because hidden in that is the reality that Christmas, it's the, it's the central truth of Christmas. It highlights it, it illustrates it, that at Christmas, God gave. At Christmas, God gave Jesus to us. This is when it happened. Now, most of us in this room, regardless of how new you are to church, understand that Christmas is originated with the birth and incarnation of Jesus into the world. But the reality is, according to the Bible, Jesus didn't just come. He was given. The Father gave Jesus. Our text says it. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Jesus was the gift of the Father to humanity. And it's the central event of Christmas. It's why we celebrate. And all this gift giving reflects it. So when rightly considered... The gift giving is mirroring what God did for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. 
And when this reality hits us, church, if we really can stare this reality in the face this morning, that God in heaven chose to take on flesh and become like one of us and enter into the story he authored to save us from ourselves, it changes everything. The reality that God became man, it will shake us. It will wake us up. That's why J.I. Packer, the great J.I. Packer, a classic theologian, said this. God became man. The divine son became a Jew. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wiggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. And then he says this. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as the truth of the incarnation. He says we couldn't make up a more amazing story than this. No human will ever do it. So the incarnation, the gift of God with us, Jesus becoming man, what we celebrate is Christmas. It's what I want to dwell on for the next 20, 25 minutes. My hope is that the more we think about this, the more we will be amazed by it. And here's the thing, a moment of honesty as I started prepping for this earlier this week, praying over what God would have me say on a Christmas sermon, praying over, um, praying o- and, and applying my heart to scripture, I realized that before I would be fit to get up here and preach a sermon, I had to take 10 steps back because I had been in the hustle and bustle of the holiday season. Who here can agree that this is a busy time of year? right? Like things just speed up at Christmas. I am in the midst of having a very pregnant wife, a very toddlery toddler who loves to tear things apart, a full ministry, all sorts of things going on. And I realized as I began, I'm not ready for this. I'm not ready to preach this message. And I had to slow myself down. And before I even began sermon preparation, I had to just dwell on, pray over, apply my heart to the beautiful realities of the incarnation of Jesus Christ into this world and what they meant for me. And I can say that as I did it this week, I was encouraged. I was blessed. I was strengthened. My soul was full. And so I want to create an opportunity, I hope, for us for a brief moment this morning for us to push aside everything else. We're not thinking about gifts. We're not thinking about what lunch is. We're not thinking about what's going to happen after the sermon or who we're going to talk to in the lobby or how quick we can get to the door. We are thinking about the amazing reality that God became man. So we're working our way through a four-week series for our Christmas. It's going to end next week at our Christmas Eve Eve service this Friday here at 7 p.m. Two weeks ago, we looked at the reality that Isaiah 9-6 tells us that Jesus is the wonderful counselor, that we can go to him when we have questions, that he loves us, that he speaks into our life in various ways. Last week, we looked at the reality that Jesus is a mighty God, that he works his power in us and for us that he loves those who come to him through faith and repentance. And this week, we arrive at the Jesus who is the everlasting Father. And the point I want to make is really simple. That when we look at that baby Jesus in a manger, we see the Father and we know that the Father loves us. When we look at that baby, we see the Father and we know that the Father loves us. I want to do three main points to get this across. I want to look at the fact that we worship at Christmas because the gift of Jesus proves the Father's unstoppable love. We worship at Christmas because the gift of Jesus has revealed the Father to us. 
And we worship at Christmas because Jesus has revealed the Father's perfect plan. So first off, we worship at Christmas because the gift of Jesus proves the Father's unstoppable love for us. The incarnation is proof that there's nothing God won't do to have us near to him. Let's just take a minute to consider some of these mysterious and stunning realities, to look at the links Jesus was willing to go to to have us near him. And here's where I think we need to start to do this. We need to start at looking at who Jesus is, at his nature. See, we, we all get different images and pictures of Jesus in our head. Some of us have seen the Jesus is my homeboy t-shirts. Some of us have seen plastic figurines of Jesus. Some of, it's, it's, he's all over the place. I saw ugly Christmas sweaters with a, with a Jesus on it that said birthday boy. Wow, funny, a little irreverent. Um, and so we have all these images of Jesus, but who is Jesus, really? Like, really, who is this God that we worship? Well, there's all kinds of ways we can unfold this, and we could spend the rest of the life of this church trying to nail down who Jesus is. But I want to read us one scripture that talks about who Jesus is in his glory. See, he condescended to become like a man to come to earth. But the reality of who Jesus is before the Father in glory, few have ever seen. Peter, James, and John got to see him on the Mount of Transfiguration in Matthew 17, and they fell down and they trembled. (laughs) Peter became a bumbling fool. Right, The glory of Jesus undid him. And we have another, again, John in Revelation chapter 1 has an encounter with Jesus, the glorified, risen, eternal Savior of the world. And this is what it says in Revelation 12, chapter 1, verse 12. Try to think of this. He's looking at Jesus. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. Now there is a ton there, and all of those things are imagery that have implications about who Jesus is. But I just want to draw this out. As, As John stands before Jesus... If we keep reading, he falls down as though dead and Jesus comes near him in mercy and lays his hand on him and says, do not be afraid. You see Jesus' mercy even in the midst of his glory here. But John tries to describe him and I love it because I feel like he's kind of trying to put descriptions on Jesus, but he's actually really struggling a little bit because he's trying to describe a supernatural God that's nothing like anything we've ever seen on earth with earthly imagery, right? And so he's like, uh, his hair, Wool, white like wool. His feet, this is my favorite one. Bronze, like burnished bronze, right? His face was like the sun in full strength. And we get this picture that John is just saying, I don't know, but he's awesome. He's amazing, man. He's glorious. He's good. He's big. I, I, I was terrified he was so bright. So this idea that this God is the God that we receive at Christmas Right? We receive this glorious gift. See, we get Jesus as the baby, but before we can really appreciate Jesus as the infant, we have to see Jesus as the glorified, reigning, risen Lord of all creation who knows no need, who knows no bounds, who is absolutely amazing. Um, 
Spears, come on up here. I have a, I've asked Jeremy and Lisa to come on up here with their little baby girl. We've, we're praying she doesn't cry. Um, this is Hazel Noel Spears. Hazel was born a month ago, yeah? Mm-hmm. She's a month old. I want us to look at this baby. She's precious. She's fragile. She's helpless. I mean, has she got a job yet? No? Okay, so no job. She's not really doing much to pitching around the house, right? So, so everything that she has in life, you're giving her right now. Right? Like if you stopped caring for this little girl, she stops living, right? Mm-hmm. Our God, our God became helpless like that. Look at this baby. She's beautiful and precious. Jesus looked like this. There was nothing supernatural about him. When you looked at Jesus, you were looking At a human, you would have thought nothing of him. This glorious God that we fall down at his feet looked normal like this baby. Think of the humility. Think of the love that he was willing to do this for us. Think of the fact that he started, much like little Noel here, as a fetus. The eternal God who spoke light into existence spent nine months in dark. Right? He nursed the God who provides sustenance to all things, provided his sustenance through a weak teenage girl's umbilical cord. It's amazing realities to think of. He was born, he experienced the shock of childbirth. He saw, the one who sees all things, saw for the first time with human eyes. He learned to speak the word from the beginning. John 1, in the beginning was the word. He had a first word as a human. I mean, these are stunning realities. We could go all day, think about it. Let's thank the Spears for coming up here. And thank you, Noah. This is why J.I. Packer says, there is nothing in fiction as fantastic as the incarnation. The more you think about it, the more it stuns you. And these are just the realities of Jesus' incarnation. We haven't even looked at the fact that the God of the universe spent 30 years in obscurity as a Jewish carpenter working to support his family, dealing with life as a teenager, growing as a young man, spent three years in public ministry that ultimately led to his death on a cross in our place. This was a mission And it started with an infant, and it ended in death, and it was all for you and me because he loves us, and nothing would stop him. There's this awesome verse in Hebrews 12, too, that says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him, because of what was in front of him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of God. And we hear this verse, and when we hear the word despised in there, typically when we hear the word despised, we think of like, oh, I despise you, I hate you, right? So we hear that verse, we read it, and we think, Jesus hated the cross. He hated it. That's not what this verse means. Despise in this context actually means to think of little, to hold of little account. It means that he looked at the cross, 
And he saw me and you on the other side and all the pain and all the sacrifice that was involved in light of what it was gonna win him, you and me in his arms, he looked at it and he said, worth it, I'm in, let's go, nothing's stopping me. He despised the cross for you and me. And I think we could pull the truth out of this, that he despised becoming man. He looked at it and said, I'm in, because they're my reward. When you think about this, there's no question that God loves us. Has that reality sunk into your heart this Christmas that God loves you like that? We worship because the gift of Jesus proves the Father's unstoppable love. Secondly, we worship because the gift of Jesus has revealed the Father to us. In his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, A.W. Tozer says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Let me read that again. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I agree with that, and what Tozer is saying is this. The way you think about God, whether right or wrong, will drive everything you do, everything you say. Your life is rooted in how you think about God, so it's very, very important that we think about God rightly. And so many of us, we, we kind of think like, oh, he's a theologian, she's a theologian. I'm not a theologian. We are all theologians. To be a theologian is to think of God. Everyone in this room is a theologian. You just might be a bad one, <laughs> right? It's important to think of God rightly. The good news of Christmas is that God loves us so much that he was willing to leave his glory to, okay, so let me backtrack. The Bible tells us in John 4.12 that no one has ever seen God. And in 1 Timothy 6.15, it says, God is the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. See, the reality is that everyone in this room, myself included, is biblically what we call a sinner, meaning we've betrayed God and walked away from him and chosen our own way, and God has provided a way for us to come back near him. And the fruit of our sin is separation, meaning we can't see God, we can't understand God. And so what we see in the incarnation is Jesus drawing near to us and making the Father understandable, the God who we can't see, the God who no eye can ever see, the Father God, the everlasting Father in heaven. We can see when we see Jesus. We see him, we see his essence, we see who he is. We understand God and that is a very big gift because it's very important to understand God. So I am very susceptible to a bad habit called binge watching TV shows. Um, thank you Netflix for ruining my life. Uh, a, a few years back, I got into a show called Man Vs. Wild with Bear Grylls. Has anyone ever seen this show? I love this show. Um, I'm a big fan of Bear Grylls because for those of you that don't know, he's a survival expert. He puts himself in these crazy situations where he has to do crazy things to get himself out and someone films it and the real hero is the camera guy because he's doing everything Bear Grylls is doing but with a camera. Anyways, so while I was watching this show, my inner virility was kind of stirred up, right? I'm just, I'm sitting eating Cheerios watching it and I'm like, I can be awesome like Bear Grylls too. So I went for a run one day. Uh, I used to jog uh, until I had kids. And, and I was staying at a house in San Diego, and by this house, there's a 30-foot rock wall. And all, every day I would run past it, and I'd see it, and I'd be like, Bear Grylls would just climb that. <laughs> Bear Grylls would just scale that thing so fast, he'd be out, he would not get rimrocked, as he calls it, which is when you can't go up or down. So I decided, as a nerdy ginger in a headband and tube socks and running socks holding an iPod in one hand to try to scale this wall and be like Bear Grylls. 
Long story short, I spent about 30 minutes stuck on that wall as people walked by with their dogs like, <laughs> what is that guy doing? I can guarantee you this, in that moment, not one person that walked by thought, is that Bear Grylls? <laughs> I think Bear Grylls would climb that wall over there, Tom, check it out. No, they were like, that guy, he got himself in a mess. I hope he gets down because it's going to be cold tonight. This is not how it works with Jesus. Jesus was not a man trying to be like God. Jesus was not a man doing his best to be God. Jesus was God. To see Jesus was to see the Father. Let me just read some scripture on this. John 14, 9, Jesus says to his disciple Philip, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. In John 10, 38, Jesus says, the Father is in me and I in the Father. In Colossians 2, 9, I love this one. In Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. Colossians 1.15, the Son is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews 1.3, the Son is the radiance of, the, of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Are we getting the picture? Jesus makes God the Father, our everlasting Father, knowable, perceivable, understandable. If we really want to know Jesus... If we really want to understand him in truth, we need to understand that we must take time to prayerfully study Christ as he is revealed in the scriptures. Every word he said, everything he did, every page of the Bible, praying front, front and center, all back to Jesus, revealing God the Father's heart towards us. And I honestly, I can confess to you, and I think some of you might be able to agree with me, so often I let that Bible sit while I'm binge watching Man vs. Wild, and yet the world is inputting all these ideas of God into my life. Our culture is inputting all these ideas of God, how he relates, how he is. The small cost that I must pay to turn off the TV or get up a little earlier, though it means I'm going to be tired, to know and understand the heart of my father is so minuscule compared to the cost Jesus paid to make himself knowable to me. Jesus had to leave his glory. He had to live a life on earth that he was never meant to live. He had to die in my place. He had to rise again from the dead, defeating its power. I just need to get out of bed in the morning. And I'm gonna understand him. I'm gonna know him. I'm gonna find intimacy with him. It starts as a discipline, then it moves to a desire. And eventually, if you stick with it, it moves into the realm of delight. That's a whole nother sermon. So we worship because the gift of Jesus proves the Father's unstoppable love. We worship because the gift of Jesus made the Father knowable to us. Lastly, we're almost done. We worship because the gift of Jesus has revealed the Father's perfect plan. The gift of Jesus at Christmas has revealed the Father's perfect plan. My wife will be the first person to tell you that I am not a planner, right? So often we get in the car, like on my day off, and she's like, where are we going? I'm like, I don't know, we're just gonna drive until we find something fun to do. My wife, on the other hand, so type A, such a planner, always thinking, always moving, needs to know. It's why God put us together. We sharpen and sanctify one another. It's what marriage does. God is the ultimate planner. God makes plans and he sticks to them and they never fail. And Christmas was God's perfect and ultimate plan. He had a plan from the very beginning. It existed before he created anything, including us. The purpose of his plan has always been, zone in on this, the perfect purpose of his plan has always been to showcase the glory of his grace by becoming man and giving his life to save us. 
Can I just read a couple verses here? And, and I'm just going to warn you, this next five minutes, it's going to require some thinking caps to go uh, elementary on us. So I'm asking us all to really zone in for the next five minutes and think. Let's read this scripture together that talks about God's plan. 2 Timothy 1, verses 9 and 10. It's the last thing we'll look at. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given, there it is, us, in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So first off, what this verse says, let's look at it. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done. So there's no one in this room right now, not a single person who will be saved, given eternal life because of anything they've done. That's not the way this works, okay? We aren't saved because of what we've done, but because of what that little baby Jesus accomplished for us on the cross through coming into the world for us. Not because of anything we've done, but why? Because of his own purposes and grace. So God purposed to save you, Christian. Job 42 would tell us that no purpose of God's can be thwarted. Meaning that before time ever began, before God breathed a breath into Adam or spoke the stars into existence, he had you in mind, he had his heart set on you, he loved you so much, and his purpose was to create you, save you, redeem you, and put you in glory with him. All to showcase how awesome he is so that you can rejoice in who he is and find joy in that reality. But then get what it says. When did he do this? Before the grace was given in Christ Jesus, before the beginning of time. What? So the pop father purposed to give and actually gave us his grace before time began, before he created time, before he created the world before he spoke light, he had already dispensed in some mysterious way that my brain can't comprehend because I'm not God. He had already dispensed his grace to me through Jesus. It was his plan and it was already sealed. It was already done. It was already accomplished. And then it even goes on more before the beginning of time, but now it has been revealed. So now we see it through the appearing of our savior, Christ Jesus. So it was already settled, it was already done. And 2,000 years ago, 2016 years ago, almost 2017 years ago, Jesus comes on the scene, full of grace and truth. God with us, Emmanuel. And we see how God's plan is going to work itself out. Revelation 13, eight says a similar truth. We're almost done. It alludes to the same reality. It says this, that they worship the lamb, that's Jesus, that was slain before the creation of the world. They worship the lamb that was slain before the creation of the world. So before God created Jesus in some mysterious way, again, you can think about this verse forever and get a headache. I'm sorry I'm giving you a headache. Jesus was already the lamb that was slain. It was already done. He had already been given to pay the price for our sins on some epic cosmic battlefield, and that reveals two things. Number one, it takes any concept out of our heads that we might tend to think God's like an ambulance driver, right? Like something bad happens. Uh-oh, Jesus, Holy Spirit, get in the back. We're going to go save the day. Sirens blaring through the streets of heaven. 
not the way God's work. He is not a GPS. We missed a turn. We screwed things up. Okay, recalculating, recalculating, recalculating. That is not the way God works. See, he sees all ends, and in some mysterious way, he has worked all of this together for our good and his glory, and it was his plan before he ever spoke anything into existence. He has no plan B. He only has plan A, and his plan A was to give Jesus for us at Christmas. That was his plan A. This means that the incarnation of Christ was not some cleanup effort, but the outworking of God's perfect plan. Secondly, what this means, this verse. This means that before Jesus ever came, God already loved us perfectly. He had already set his heart on us. It means that God desired to know us to know him. It means that he called us his own. He loves us and Christmas proves it. The Christmas message is that the everlasting father of creation loves every single person in here to the point that he was willing to go to any end to save us. And he did. And it was his plan. And because of that, when we see it, our hearts are stirred in worship. Because at Christmas, Jesus, Jesus gave away his glory, we get to receive glory. Because at Christmas, Jesus drew near to us, we can draw near to the Father without fear, covered in his blood, knowing that he loves us. Because Jesus left heaven at Christmas, left his place, he came to give us a place at his place. He left his place. He gave us a place at his place. Think of that little baby and be amazed that in that was the essence of the everlasting father come to save us at Christmas and let that stir your heart this Christmas. So I want to end here. We're done. I want to watch a video of my dear friends, John and Valerie Guerra, who are songwriters and they're amazing people. And this song says, Lord, remind me because it's Christmas and I want to remember. It's pretty simple. But I want us to watch this, and as we watch it, I want us to just remind ourselves of these realities, to try to experience them and enjoy them and let that fuel us that the everlasting Father loves us perfectly. Let's watch this video, and then Matt will come up.